the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Hmm, how do we start this today? There's so much going on. Um, it's earnings season, and that's why there's so much going on. Like, uh, I'm not just saying, like, hey, I've got a big show for you today. There's just a lot to talk about. I think a lot of people want to talk Apple. It's the biggest company in the world. It's got that cult of Apple going on as far as the product goes. It's got discussions on, is are they too big? Are they not too big? Uh, was the quarter a good quarter, bad quarter? I'll get to that. I promise you will. So right now, we're also having to look at the stock market. The durable orders data was disappointing yesterday. Oil prices keep sinking. The transports are reeling despite the drop in oil prices. The small cap Russell 2000 index dropped 1.2% yesterday, underperformed the Dow, NASDAQ, and SP 500 by a large margin. The Russell 2000 is a kind of a play on the United States. Um, so when you add you know, durable orders, oil, transports, uh, dropping oil prices, transports should do better. You know, planes, trains, and automobiles, they consume energy, right? Oil is energy. Nothing's really working. Uh, on a consistent basis. That doesn't mean nothing's working. It's just not on a consistent basis. There's a lot of enthusiasm this morning for the the results on Apple. They reported fiscal fourth quarter results, and they noted that it expects iPhone growth in its fiscal first quarter, which is starting now through, let's see, what is it, October 31? So it's kind of November, December, January. Uh, so they just ended their quarter, uh, their annual year. Keep in mind that only had about 10 days to sell the iPhone and the new iPhone 6S. And it was the best quarter ever as far as profits go for a company ever. We'll talk about that. So we're watching oil today. I'm trying to say that, yes, I'm going to talk about Apple in a second. But right now, some of the other things that are on the market's mind is, uh, okay, the 10-year Treasury, it's just about 2%, 2.04%. That tells you, again, if I die today, if I have a heart attack and just croak, ribbit, ribbit, that's one of the things you're always going to want to pay attention to, the cost of money. When the 10-year Treasury is around 3 or 4%, that's when bonds become more attractive. Uh, but when the 10-year Treasury is at 2%, you can't make money. You can, bar- you can barely keep up with inflation. Now, again, inflation is slightly less than that. So let's talk Apple. Let's get this over with. Apple announced its fourth quarter earnings on Tuesday evening. It reported some solid numbers. Earnings per share were slightly ahead of expectations, coming in a buck ninety-six. That's up thirty-eight percent year over year. We're not. If you talk about the S&P 500, there's not a lot of earnings growth. There's very little to no revenue growth. Company sold forty-eight million iPhones around the level analysts were expecting. Analysts are almost all happy with the results. 
Apple basically delivered what they wanted to see. Having rounded up some of what the analysts say, FBR, they're bullish on the stock. They have a price target of 175 just for poops and giggles. Let me tell you what the stock is at today. 116. It's up 2%. Um, they said headed into last night's results, Apple investors were bracing for the worst and hoping for the best. I kind of give their quarter a B plus, so says Freeman Billings Ramsey analyst. With September results only including two days, two days of the iPhone success launch, all eyes are focused on the company's December guidance, which came in generally in line with expectations. Goldman Sachs has a $163 price target on it, and they're bullish. They said a strong quarter with revenues of $51.5 billion. Go write that down, $51.5 billion over the last 90 days. Segment shipments were relatively in line with iPhone shipments of about $48 million. Given low expectations headed into the print, uh, we think the results will offer some relief around the strength of the iPhone success product cycle. A lot of people think that you know, the conventional, not the conventionalism, the thought out there is that the 5 was a smaller phone and the 6 uh, was a bigger phone and that the first time the bigger phone was released that everyone bought what they had to buy, but still over 70% of users are using the 5 or 4, maybe even the 3. So there's huge room for upgrades. Um, plus, Apple's doing some things along the lines of if you want to start purchasing a monthly contract with them, they'll give you a new iPhone every year, which will get people to turn over the phones faster. So they're kind of engineering kind of a, a product cycle, quicker replacement. Um, let's see, Baird, they're bullish. They've got a $155 target. They said numbers came in consistently with uh, got consensus guidance. Um, growth in China, another investor concern, remains robust. They said, we remain positive on the near and long-term opportunity for Apple and reiterate our $155 target. Barclays has a $155 target, overweight. Uh, they say, in their view, the December quarter guidance is not kicking the can to the March quarter in terms of potential cut over to double-digit year-over-year unit declines. Add in potential lifts from the new upgrade programs and increasing services, attach rates potentially driving higher iPhone cap capacities. They see there's a diminishing risk of a growth problem for iPhone in the near to midterm. Now, again, they left out the word long-term. This is a big company. If you were to put it in terms, it's the fattest relative you have. So go to Large Marge, Aunt Marge, and she's 420 plus. It's pretty easy to go from 200 to 300. 300 to 400 is a little more difficult, but 400 to 500 is really, really difficult to pack on those pounds. Um, and Apple just had the greatest quarter ever as far as profits go. So it's tough to say, are you going to have the greatest greatest quarter ever coming up? Um, and by the way, the greatest quarter ever before Apple was ExxonMobil when oil spiked $250 a barrel. Just saying. Um, another analyst, Stifle, they have a buy $150 target on it. They said, while concern over slowing negative iPhone growth is likely to remain a topic of debate, they say focus on inventory replenishments versus sell-through now. Apple's results and the outlook should be viewed positively. So Wells Fargo has a, a bullish $125, $135 target. Raymond James, bullish, no price target. William Blair, bullish, outperform. Everyone's saying a lot of the same thing. Quarter-to-quarter uh, -quarter numbers should hold up pretty well, and China was better than expected. So Apple's now more dependent on China than ever, which Tim Cook came out and said, China, I, I don't see a problem with China. And you listen to shows like this, or you turn on the television, CNBC's, Bloomberg's, and you hear about, you know, slowing growth in China. But this is one of those funny areas where the iPhone's price actually helps it. Charging between $300 and $600 for a phone makes it a luxury item. And I think you can get a lot of the similar features in a Samsung. Maybe not quite as refined, but... Apple has a luxury feel to it, and in good economies and bad economies, people want that luxury. It's uh, you know, it's kind of a lipstick indicator. Even when things are down, people are still going out to buy lipstick so they could look pretty. 
Anyhow, um, Cook has been focusing on China heavily. Apple increased its total sales by over $50 billion, which includes $26 billion gain from China alone. Pretty impressive. We'll keep an eye on all this. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Apple post quarterly revenue of $51 billion, a record. Quarterly net profit of $11.1 billion. Um... Pretty impressive. Fiscal 2015 was Apple's most successful year ever. Revenue grew 28% to nearly $234 billion. So for the last 12 months, they pulled in revenue of $234 billion. I wasn't a math major. I did well in calculus. But $234 billion, isn't that one quarter of a trillion dollars? It's not too shabby. The problem with them is the only thing that's really working great gangbusters is the phone. Everything else is either pretty good to pretty average. The iPad is, I wouldn't say an embarrassment because that is a little bit too dramatic, but it's not strong. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Interesting report tied towards Apple as well is Adele. Now, Adele came out with a single over the weekend, and it did very, very well. Justin Bieber came out with a single over the weekend that did okay, and it would have looked great, but Adele made him look like the... How shall we say? I'm not going to say anything nice here. Um, I just won't say anything. The Rolling in the Deep star Adele made a return to music last week after a long hiatus, and she set to score big with her new album, 25. She's thinking about a tour. And get this. She wants to charge Apple $30 million to sponsor it. Okay. Um... Adele's new song, Hello. Hello, is it me you're looking for? Probably not that song. Um, uh, she says she would love to go on tour, and I'd love to think that I have it in me to do one of the global tours. Whether I do or don't, I don't know. Her new song, Hello, ratcheted up 156,000 sales of the single, 10,000 streams in just three days in her native Britain. Um, pulled in 450,000 downloads in the United States. The accompanying video has been breaking records online, racking up more than 27 million views on Vivo in the first 24 hours. Her album is set to go on sale in November. But what do you think about the idea of saying $30 million from Apple to sponsor her first world tour? That's kind of where Apple does really well. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. They've got cash. Apple's got enough cash to give every American a $600 phone for free. Well, not free, but they could give every American a $600 phone. Say what? Pretty, I know, right? Pretty crazy. Um, talking about the stock market at this point in time, uh, Apple beat earnings and revenue forecast. It's all going to be a, probably about a Fed day. And what I mean by that is the Fed's going to come out with some notes. And they're going to tell us a little bit on what they're thinking. Will they come out and flat out raise interest rates? No one's really expecting that. So a Fed statement to be released at, what is it, about 
2 o'clock Eastern to 11 o'clock Pacific time. So if you're getting this on a podcast, it may have already happened. Um, but go back in time and, you know, go take a look at a chart of what happened right at 11. And you'll see if Wall Street was fascinated by it or Wall Street was disappointed by it. So the S and the markets ultimately went higher today, uh, maybe tied towards a little bit of Apple. So, um, so uh, Apple's such a big company. And one of the things that Apple did say is, you know, China looks okay by us. And the way I want you to think of Apple, and this is just horrible for me to say, I own shares of Apple, and I don't expect great things on appreciation out of Apple. Um, I certainly could see it getting to 140 to 160 range if there's any speculation. Right now, there's not. There's kind of appreciation for how big the company is, and people are saying, you know, you're not going to be able to grow forever and ever with those kind of numbers. Apple, for their part, said, you know, uh, the number of people who are switching, switchers, as they call it, from the Google platform to the Apple platform continues to grow. China continues to grow. They're continuing to open more stores in China, which is important. Um, I think you have to look at Apple as kind of a luxury product uh, with a dividend and not necessarily a fast grower down the road. Because if you want fast growth, I would go towards Facebook. I'd go towards Google. I'd go towards Netflix. Um, Amazon, those are the names that are growing the most at this point in time. And fast money will say, you know what, I could always come back to Apple. Uh, it's not going to you know, disappear on me. So that's worthy of note, I do believe. I do, I do, I do believe. So Carl Icahn's asking for AIG to be split into three. They say the time to, he says the time to act is now. Um, anytime Carl Icahn sniffs around a company... You know, dogs sniff each other's derriere. They say it's like uh, getting a business card from each other. So, uh, and when dogs, if you take a dog for a walk, you know, it sniffs everything. <laughs> sniffs all the, the leaves and sniffs everything. Uh, they say that's like taking uh, the dogs reading the, the morning paper. And I think uh, that's why if you have a dog, you should take your dog for at least two walks a day. So that, that's right. Um, so, bad news and Star Wars fans, turn off your radio if you don't want a spoiler in five seconds, four seconds, three seconds, two seconds, one second. It looks like Chewbacca dies. In the newest, and this is no big, you know, reveal. This isn't a big spoiler because the newest uh, trailer that they released, you could see the, uh, the new female protagonist uh, crying over a big furry body. And how many big furry bodies do we know? Yeah, that's about the only big furry body that we know. Unless you saw that guy at the New Jersey beach that I once saw. I honestly thought he was a Wookiee. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I once saw a guy so fat in a North Carolina beach that I tried to push him back in the water. Yeah, I, saw, I thought he was a stranded whale. So. <laughs> Brutal crowd. Brutal. So, new interesting study on cancer, and it says basically if you get cancer, you're going to miss about 20% of work. Uh, your income is going to go down thus 20%, because in America, we don't really have a great system for handling people who are, you know, long-term sick. Um, and when I say sick, you know, cancer obviously <sighs> scales very high on that. Could you afford to lose 20% of your income? Most Americans can't, because we live paycheck to paycheck, and that's why a lot of bankruptcies in the United States um, are tied towards medical issues. I hate saying this, but that's one of the reasons why you want an emergency fund in case you get cancer. Well, they'll take us a break. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. 
Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Maybe I can get my producer to pull some audio for me. Last night on Stephen Colbert, he asked Hillary Clinton if she'd let big banks fail, and she said, yes, 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 yes. Uh, he should have said, will you say anything to get elected? And the answer would have been, yes, 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 yes. Um, I don't dislike Hillary Clinton. I don't. I hate politics. I hate Republicans. I hate Democrats. Uh, I think it's turned into a joke in the United States. I think local politics is the way to go. Hillary Clinton told late night host Stephen Colbert on Tuesday evening that she would not bail out banks if confronted with another crisis caused by risky behavior in the financial industry. Former Secretary of State qualified her answer saying, qualified her answer, ding, 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 saying mandates included in the 2010 Dodd-Frank financial reform package would guard against a situation like the 2008 collapse. Uh, it's easy to hate banks, and it's, it'll get you votes to say, I hate banks. But every person in this show has a relationship with a bank. And you need them. And you can't ask them not to make money. And when you say, okay, you can't charge people a lot of money for bounce checks, that's not the American way. And they're like, okay, well, we'll charge people more money for using our ATMs. And can you blame them? Do you have hundreds of thousands of dollars to run around and put into an ATM and pay someone to, to do it? No. Money doesn't grow in, on ATMs. Just work with me on this one, okay? So one last thing that I want to bring up, and this is ever so slightly different, but home values and rental prices are steadily rising in the United States. Obviously, we know this, fueled by stronger and just a tight, tight, tight supply of properties. The S&P, the S&P Case-Shiller Index climbed 5.1% in 12 months. It just ended in August. A level the economists view as more sustainable than the sharp double-digit gains at the start of 2014. Still, while three years of solid hiring and low mortgage rates have bolstered real estate, further gains will likely you know, require better pay for workers. What's interesting is homes and tech hubs with high concentration of good-paying jobs appear to be the main beneficiaries of rising prices, like San Francisco and Denver, both enjoyed a 10% gain year over year. Uh, Oregon, which is kind of like a poor man's uh, – Portland, Oregon is kind of like a poor man's Seattle, and Seattle's kind of a poor man's San Francisco – they're seeing the rates rise the fastest in markets where job growth and net migration are the strongest and inventories are the tightest. Portland's an excellent example of that. But what's interesting is we're not seeing the global slowdown isn't hitting home prices or rental prices in the United States at all. Why is that? Don't we all kind of interlock? Like, isn't the knee bone connected to the elbow? The elbow is connected to the hip bone. I never did good at anatomy. Anyway, if you ever want to be a great artist and draw people, you need to take an anatomy class. Let's talk a little real estate with Tony Mendez. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Tony, you worked in the mortgage industry, so you see a lot of what's going on. Uh, you put together a lot of the paperwork. One of the pieces of paperwork that you put together is insurance on the home. Right. You want to make sure the person who's buying a home gets homeowner's insurance before the transaction's finished. Um, is that a law or is that a courtesy? Uh, it's a lender requirement. Lender requirement? Okay. Lender requirement. I mean, if you own your house free and clear, you're going to obviously want to protect your asset. But the lenders have tighter guidelines on on what is required as far as what your coverages are, your, your liabilities, insurance. I think everyone needs to review their paperwork every five years. This is a very odd concept, but my business is worth more than it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. So I need to change my life insurance in case and I And building die. costs have gone up and then and replacement costs. Well, before we get there, let, let me finish this thought so that people can tie it together nicely. If I were to die, my partner buys me out. I have life insurance on him. He has life insurance on me. Perfect, right? But we have to up that every five years because the value of the business goes up. Right. So that's kind of frustrating. With that said, same thing with your home. I bought my house five years ago. I could tell you that the houses on my street, the quality has gone up a lot with people um, rebuilding their homes, with their bringing in construction um, some people are doing complete teardowns and putting in super fancy, nice homes. That scares me a little bit because that means yeah. for me to rebuild, it's going to be more expensive. Well, and, and look at this mathematically, though. It's not always the rebuilding cost. Your, your land is what's going up faster than the actual rebuild. But you do want to still reanalyze your insurance policy every year, to be honest with you, because you may have bought new 
items that you're including in your house, or you may have upgraded a kitchen or had some new appliances. There's a lot of things you can include into your insurance policy um, on your homeowner's policy. So I would look at it every year. Most people, I think it's about 80%, I think it's a statistic, is under, they're underinsured yeah. on their home. Um, so you want to keep looking at your policy on a yearly basis, especially if in, in a market like this where home prices are going up and down, land prices are going up and down. You're not insuring your land, but you're insuring the rebuild cost and everything else inside. So let's talk that concept a little bit. Um, every now and then there's a just true disaster. And you have homeowners insurance, you feel very comfortable with it, but you've been living in the Oakland Hills for 20 years and a fire sweeps through the Oakland Hills. You're not going to be able to afford to rebuild. You're, you're done. Yeah. You're selling that piece of land, and someone else is going to build there. Um, because in 20 years, housing construction costs have gone up significantly. Uh, and I would check your coverage, yeah. too. Um, some people might think they have the right kind of hazard insurance, the right kind of fire coverage. I was recently talking to a friend of my parents, and they had a home in New Jersey that was wiped out by Sandy, was the storm. Uh-huh. And a year earlier, their insurance company s- said, we don't want to own any policies on the coast. And they got rid of it. Uh, and they went with a sub a sub standard type of insurance company that replaced it and it did, and they did not cover the flood. So you go and look at at your policy, especially if you if you're in a sort of like flood not flood zone but like a landslide zone. I looked at a house not recent not too long ago where part of the uh, disclosure said that it was in a like a landslide area. So I mean these these are some some of the things you need to have on your coverage. You and I spent some time on the East Coast in our younger years and there was an auto insurance company called Katz Auto Insurance, and it was spelled K-A-T-Z. And there, the, it was a lion, like, never use an insurance company that can't even spell. I like using, I use USAA. My dad was in the military. It's the greatest insurance company ever. I love them. So that keeps the cost of my, and then I, I put my auto insurance with them. They give me a multi-policy discount. So I'm very, very pleased. I like multi-policy discounts. Everyone should consider it. Like, if you need term life, Call your auto insurance that's a, and see if they can do it. That's a great piece of advice. Um, put everything together, get a, a lower discount. Absolutely. And go with quality. I think Geico is great if you can't get USAA. Um, I would not go with the local insurance agent. And again, I'm pissing some people off. I know. I want if Warren Buffett bought Geico for a reason and everything's on a phone and you never actually have a real estate agent. But yeah, if you want to test your policy, I can call Geico right now or USAA and say, Hey, does my house cover if a meteor hits it? Does my homeowners cover it if you know? Someone breaks in. What's my deductible? Call these people and yep. ask ask questions and get the answers before the disaster happens. With that said, very, very important to review your policies. That's the last thing I'm going to say because also on some policies, sometimes you designate – like I had, I had life insurance that went to my first wife. That would not have been good if, Cindy, if I died, she gets insurance. Chad's got that story where one of his financial planners um, out of college had a boyfriend, and he put her name on yep. the policy – he gets married, has a kid, dies, and the life insurance went to the girlfriend from college. I mean, even as small as if you have kids and you have more kids coming out on your property and other people and you have a pet, for example, those are things that you need to change your policy as well. It's not just about the house. It's about the liabilities that go along with it. Number one claim on homeowner's insurance. Dog bites. Dog bites. Yep. Buy a cat, sell the dog. Yep. With that said, that's Tony Mendez. You can find him online at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. My dad died of cancer, and I saw what it did to him. You know, the last two to three years of his life uh, was not pretty. He had lung cancer about six or seven years before it came back. He had his lungs chopped up. One of the things it did was he had to miss work. The average U.S. adult diagnosed with cancer misses about five weeks of work in the first year, and they see a total family income decline about 20% during that period of time. It's one of the reasons you need an emergency fund. It's one of the reasons you need to count on worst-case scenarios. These numbers could probably be higher as, you know, the average the experiences of people with various types of stages of cancer are thrown in there. And people who started out working full-time along with those who are not employed, you know, to begin with, skew the data. So it's one of the reasons you don't want to go with a lot of statistics. So ultimately, a cancer diagnosis... Hours work decreased by about 200 hours or five full-time weeks. And that hits the U.S. economy. U.S. labor law and labor culture is amongst the most severe compared to all other developed countries. There are no or very limited policies for sick leave or for family leave uh, when it comes tied towards 
a massive sickness, cancer. The annual labor market earnings dropped 40% over the first two years and remained lower than before cancer diagnosis for family income. Study's not large enough to really, you know, read into what it's going to mean to you and you and you, but you get cancer, you could expect to pull in less family income. Um, and it's one of the, like, I guess you could say one of the humiliating um, things that come with cancer, right? Uh, it's something we're going to need to address down the road. There's a lot of medical bankruptcies. Oh, no, wait. There's a lot of household bankruptcies tied towards medical conditions and medical illnesses. Currently in the United States, there's 14 million survivors. And you just do the math of 14 million people, you know, losing a big chunk of their income. And it's got ramifications. Fantasy sports industry, moving to something lighter, is going to create an outside control board after they kind of got caught not policing themselves uh, and the federal authorities got in the picture. They're like, oh, no, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll police ourselves. <laughs> A little late on that, but we'll see. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, but joining me now, Dr. Jeffrey Rosen, Chief Economist at Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, how's the economy doing? A uh, bit of an unknown, I guess. I, you know, I think that... How so? A lot of the headlines have been soft. You know, we've had payrolls that have underperformed. The manufacturing sector is definitely slowing down. Um, you know, th- things aren't looking as strong as they once were. You know, only a few months ago, when the when the Fed was really anxious about raising rates. Uh, I don't know if this is a temporary, you know, lull. You know, a lot of the facts that were well, a lot of the problems in the manufacturing sector are you know a confluence of you know weak um, global markets and strong dollar and we're starting to see the impact of that and it's definitely hurting that sector but you know overall things are just humming along i mean nothing is really really too terrible it's just nothing's too great i saw a report today tied towards real estate in the united states where it says Real estate prices are going up, and rents are going up, and it kind of questioned international markets are struggling to get out of the 2008 recession of the United States. Why is there a disconnect? Because wages aren't going up, and yet real estate is, and international markets are going down, and yet real estate's going up. It was, it didn't make a, a compelling case for the problem because it basically said inventory is the real reason. Um, but is there a bubble in real estate? Is there a disconnect in real estate in the United States versus what we're seeing worldwide and inside the I United mean, States with wages? I think you hit it perfectly when you said that, you know, the inventories are a problem, and that really is. I mean, think about what was going on, you know, circa 2006. You know, the bubble was popping. You know, construction was slowing down almost instantaneously. And housing starts plummeted to, you know, multi-multi-decade lows. Yet, at the same time, it's not like all the people that lived in the United States just died off. Um, people still were born. People aged into you know, the 18-year-olds. They aged into the 24-year-old bracket. Now, these are people that would normally be moving out of their parents' home and into, a, into a, you know, either an apartment or a place of their own. And the supply that was you know, overbuilt, understandably, all of a sudden 
got really constrained. I mean, the, the amount of people that were coming through, there wasn't enough homes to meet that demand. So, I mean, the basic mechanism of supply and demand, you had low supply, decently high demand just because of the constraints on population growth. And all of a sudden, prices started, you know, returning and returning with a vengeance. And, you know, a lot of the problems we're still seeing, you know, that people would probably like to get out of their homes or trade up, but they're either underwater still or they just don't have the ability to, to finance a new mortgage or something to that extent. So you have a lot of low-entry homes that are still not being into the market, which is preventing first-time home buyers from coming to the market. So the only thing we're left are, are really the expensive or the more expensive homes, and it's difficult to afford those. So it's pushing up rents because the, renter, the owners of the rental properties know that they can charge higher because there's no uh, way that the renters are going to be able to move into a new home. And if that's going to be a constraint, you have prices going everywhere up. Now, the flip side, as you mentioned, is that wages are stagnant. So what you're seeing is more people spending more part of their income, the larger portion of their income, on uh, housing, which is not a good thing because that limits purchases and other goods, and it pushes deflationary pressures on the other sectors. So, you know, clothing sectors, for example, you know, for the last, you know, several years have been fighting for uh, customers. I mean, you've seen it with, you know, you know, it's kind of ironic, but the Joseph A. Bank commercials, you know, saying buy one, get seven free. You know, that's the only way to get people into the stores is to offer deep discounts because consumers don't have the ability to spend more. You know, and a lot of their money is being taken up on, on rents. They're, they're sucking things out. Okay. Um, where do we go from here with that? Because... The Federal Reserve is going to announce something today. They're going to release a statement. Uh, are they taking into account that a lot of the things that you're throwing out there, or do you think they're going to you know, focus on their quote-unquote mandate of, you know, there's almost enough inflation but not quite, and job growth seems to be where they want it to be to raise interest rates? Are the, the external factors basically doing the job for them, or do they need to raise rates to... Well, I uh, think they're going up. to be, you know, focusing on their inflation target. I think that they, the unemployment mandate, you know, has, you know, it's been met to to a pretty good extent. I mean, I would argue that the unemployment rate is still biased downward by a number of people that have left the labor force due to being discouraged as opposed to just leaving because of normal retirement. But the amount of the bias has has decreased substantially. You know, we're we're at an unemployment rate that's probably in real terms, you know, if we get rid of the biases, is about, you know, 6%, maybe a little bit higher than that. And that's a normal time that the Fed would raise rates. That's a normal output gap that the Fed would say, okay, we're closing in on full employment. Let's, let's move on that. The other side, though, is inflation. You know, we're not seeing wage growth. We're not seeing any wage growth. And you have, an, uh, you know, an inflation rate that is well below the Fed's target, you know, core inflation is well below the Fed's target. Commodity prices are soft at best. You know, we've been seeing oil prices come back down again. You know, we're not seeing a we're not seeing medium-term inflation growth, and the market's aware of that. Because even if you look at the market's long-term expectations, if you take the five-year, five-year forward, which is basically saying what's the average inflation rate for five years starting five years from now, and that's basically saying that. Give, let's get out of the current business cycle that we're in. Let's say we have another up and down move. What's the Fed actually going to be maintaining for inflation growth? And that should be, you know, right around two and a half to two and a half, uh, right around 2.25 to two and a half percent, because the Fed's target for CPI is about two and a half percent, and it's at 1.7 to 1.8 percent right now. So the market's saying the Fed can't maintain its inflation target, and it doesn't expect inflation to accelerate. So if that's the case, why would the Fed raise rates into that spectrum? You know, and I don't see it happening. I see the Fed saying, you know, we're going to hold off here. We're going to wait till wage growth starts returning. We're going to wait till we see that the market, the consumers, that businesses all expect inflation to return to that 2% target for the PCE number, 2.5% for the CPI. And when it gets there, we'll raise rates. And I'm, I'm really hoping that that's what they're, uh, you know, that's what they're going to say today. Anything else that you're seeing in the economy that you think we should be made aware of? As I know, your insights are bigger than some of the questions that I can answer. Ask. 
Yeah, I, I think you, you're right at it. I think the market's very, very tied and tuned towards what the Fed is going to do. You know, I think that you look at the Fed and everyone wants to see where they're going because everyone wants to make a decision based on you know, purchasing versus investments. How is that going to affect the capital markets? How is it going to affect the treasury markets? How is it going to affect the bond markets? You know, we look at all this type of stuff, and it all falls back on the Fed's shoulders. And right now the Fed is going to be tied to how inflation is performing. And if we don't see an uptick in inflation and we continue to see weakness, and we continue to see global weakness, which is going to push down commodity prices or at least keep commodity price growth soft, and we're going to prevent the, uh, the U.S. consumer from seeing wage growth because businesses don't see the need to, to do it, you know, the Fed's going to stay back and, and hold off. And I think everyone's just waiting to see what the Fed says about that. Any other thoughts or any other projects that you're working on at briefing.com that we should be made aware of? No, no. I mean, things are, uh, you know, like I said, everyone's basically tied to one thing. We're all Fed watchers today, and we're all Fed okay. watchers next week because the, the employment numbers come out next week. And, and that's really it is everybody, you know, is looking to see how the Fed's going to play. And, you know, the data is now how does it impact the Fed? You know, and, and, that, and that's really all it is. It's interesting. Do you think we should be Fed watchers? Because I've never actually met a Fed official in person, and I say ridiculous things like uh, Janet Yellen's kind of hot for a Fed Reserve member. Um, I say some ridiculous things to try to get people into the idea that there are bankers and they're basically making decisions on the cost of money, and yet I've never met a Fed official. Yeah, I, I don't – like I always said to myself that uh, I never wanted to be a Fed watcher. I never wanted to be someone that, that looked at the – verbiage of a statement to find out what was, you know, a different adjective this month versus three months ago, you know, trying to, you know, to piece together a picture of what the Fed is looking at. You know, I always wanted to say, you know, things are going to be moving based on what the data is, and you don't need to be so concerned on what the actual people are saying. But what we've been seeing lately is that, you know, the verbiage is important because the Fed has been you know, itching, as we've been saying, to raise rates, even though the data has clearly been soft. So, you know, that, that's the, the hard part about what's going on. That, that's what's frustrating is that, you know, if the Fed was going to move based on, you know, some sort of variables, you know, kind of like, you know, almost like saying the Taylor rule, this is what the Fed's going to do, here's the, here's the, the equation, the equation's going to spit out a number, and that's what the Fed's going to do. That, to me, is, you know, it's simplistic, but it's preferable as a, an economist to at least figure out what's going on than trying to look at tea leaves or look at, you know, the bones that are thrown into the cauldron to see what it looks like based on, you know, some change in a, in a tone or of a voice. Uh, that's very difficult, in my opinion, but that's what we've become. One last simple answer, because we're out of time. We've got 10 seconds. Is it going to be a good holiday season for retailers? I'm hoping so. Wage growth kind of says that it's going to be slow. You know, I think retailers are expecting something strong. Uh, we haven't Thanks. seen, you know, a big move in consumption, so it's possible that, you know, the, the little bit of heightened savings that we've been seeing for this year is going to be uh, relaxed yeah. in the fourth quarter, but we'll find out. Thanks very much. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen, the one, the only chief economist at Briefing.com, an excellent source of financial information on global and domestic markets. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, I do my best to try to get you an entertaining show and program. On occasion, refer me to someone and uh, let them know that there's an app out there that you can listen to the show on at iTunes. It's like 99 cents. Uh, you can get it at Google Play. You can get it at Amazon. It's under Rob Black and your money. I make nothing on that. <laughs> 
trust me, I'm not going for that angle. I would love for the show to continue to get a bigger profile and, and continue to do good things. And the more people out there, the more motivated I am. The more questions that come into Rob at Rob Black's show, the more questions I can answer that are real questions. Um, you know, when I say things, when I put together the show and like tonight's big debate, who's the big winner? It's going to be CNBC. But in tonight's big debate, who's going to be the big winner, you know, 2016, I don't know who the big winner is, but I know Facebook, I know Google, I know Yahoo, and I know Twitter are going to do pretty well. When I look at Twitter's quarter, it's crummy. And they said it's going to be a while before we show growth. And I actually kind of like that. Um, could you imagine going out on, could you imagine meeting someone that is that refreshingly honest? Um to be number four or number three in social media isn't the worst thing in the world. Twitter still needs to figure it out. They've got some good product out there that uh, some people really like, like Vine. I'm, I'm not into it. I love their Periscope product, and I'm considering starting to do that, where your feedback would help. With Periscope, if you have a Twitter account, you know I can do a 1 o'clock market recap, um, and you can log in and see if you know what Janet Yellen said and did it move the markets or not. And I could do it in like two or three minutes from the comfort of either a gym or my office or like it's it's kind of convenient to pull it off. Uh, I'm not going to sell you on a business suit. I'm not going to sell you on cufflinks. I don't want to. If that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for a guru to say, um, what do you have a strategy in up market? Do you have a strategy in a down market? I do. <laughs> like, Really? Is that why your mutual fund went out of business? Um, I don't get it. I don't get people's love affair with gurus and Buddhas. Uh, I don't want to be your Buddha on the mountain. I have at least 20 plus things that I totally believe in. You should at least have 20 plus things, maxims, thoughts, ideas that you can write down that defines you as an investor. If you don't, you're just jumping from ship to ship. You're just lost. And I feel bad for you because... Uh, I got an email from someone who invested with someone they either heard on radio or television, and they lost 40% in the last three years from someone who purports to be an expert. How do you lose 40% in three years in an up market? Essentially, you don't know what you're doing. It's like I once heard some people in radio talking about buying Yukos oil because, you know, it's an oil company. It's not Exxon. It's not Chevron. It was a Russian oil company. The only big problem with this is it's a Russian oil company, and you can't really trust businesses in Russia. Uh, Putin came in and said, all this oil's mine. Uh, Yukos, your CEO, you are a spy, and we're going to put you in jail. And when I heard that on radio, I was like, these guys don't know what they're doing. Um, and it scared me a little bit. Uh, I'm throwing that out there just to be honest with you, like, to let you know, like, sometimes your biggest enemy is you. Um, someone who's been listening to my show for years dropped me an email over the weekend and goes, I heard a guy on KSFO, local radio station, that gives seminars on insurance contracts, and he has a return of 6 to 10% yearly on tax-free, and that pre-tax investments are not good because of taxes due upon withdrawal. Would you give your opinion on this and explain what he's talking about? Well, first of all, he's talking about putting post-tax money into an annuity that pays him 9%. I know the guy. I think he's a criminal. Um, I don't like him. I would say I think he's an alleged criminal in the sense that he isn't telling you all the details, and there's a high-pressure sales tactic on it. Um, and anyone that purports that you can get 6 to 10% returns should be put in, in my opinion, should be taken out of the business. You can't promise that, especially in an insurance product. Um, and the sad thing is there's people dumb enough to believe, well, that sounds pretty good. I guess I should do that. Annuities, whole life insurance, variable life insurance, typically really crappy product, especially if it's being sold on radio or television because of the high fees and especially because of the high commissions. What you want is the cheapest insurance to cover your needs. And then after, you don't want insurance to get, pay you back. You don't want insurance to give you loans. You could do that on your own. Invest in the best quality product that has the lowest fees and lowest commissions, typically term life insurance, and invest the rest. 
So you buy insurance to cover your worst case scenario. I can give you one more example on like where the criminals are out there. Um, and they're out there. Um, a company called my mother, who's in a nursing home, and sold her a life insurance policy, a premium of $98 a month. Um, that equals over two years, $2,300. Uh, the beneficiary is my sister. Um, if she dies, uh, she gets 10, if she dies of sickness or other natural causes, my sister gets $10,000 over the next four years. That's a great deal. Um, but if she dies by accidental bodily injury, um, you know, it starts to get different. The policy's in effect until her 100th birthday, of which at that point it's off. Um, it's a whole life policy, and it accumulates such a tiny cash value that it's pathetic. But they told my mom, you'll be able to take cash out of this. But in the two years that she's had it, she's already spent $2,300 plus. She wouldn't have $2,300 if she didn't give it to them. You've got to be really, really careful. And those jokers who sold my mom that policy, I believe, should be put in prison in my world. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.